All right, welcome to chanceofgaming.com. Uh, this is our episode 106, which doesn't really have a title, but we figure it out anyway. Um, as always, I'm Adam, and with me is Richard and Roy. Hello, everybody. Hi, I'm uh, Roy. All right, oh. and you, you guys, if they want to follow you on Twitter, how do they do that? Well, mo this is Rich, and my handle is Trippier Jr. T R I P P E E R J R. That's how you find me on Twitter. And uh, this is Roy, and I am Roy Toy Cowboy on Twitter. <laughs> and and I occasionally rant about the about the president and other things that kind of piss me off. All right. So if you if you follow me, I'll follow you back. All right. There you go. So uh, right. as uh, it's been great, uh, we've had a lot of feedback from the past couple of episodes. And, uh, as always, we start with the what are you playing lately. And on our Google Doc, Rich has jumped in the front, and he's going to tell us all about Chili 73. Yeah, so uh, last week, I think, at the uh, the STL St. Louis War Gamers, uh, or St. Louis Historical Gaming Society group, we had our monthly game day, and we played a couple games. Uh, one was Chili 73, and the other was Pax Porfiriana. So Chile 73 is pretty interesting. Um, it's uh, it's made by Tiny Battle Publishing, which they make, as you would guess from the name, a lot of tiny little war games. Um, and I've got one. Uh, I think it's called Cruel Morning. It's the Battle of Shiloh in the American Civil War, and it's a good game. Um, this one just came out, Chile 73. Obviously, it's the Chilean uh, Revolution where Allende was overthrown. And uh, so... It, it was published by Tiny, Tiny Battle Publishing, but it's actually created by Brian Train, who's a, a fairly big name in the industry. Um, we played it. It's a four-player game, and we had a good time. We enjoyed it, but we had some concerns about the game. Uh, there was, It felt like, in many ways, like we were beta testing, beta testing it, and... You know, with a, a game that's been published and is being sold, we just thought, oh, there's a lot of weird things on here. And we actually were taking notes, and we thought, well, we know that Brian Train is active on Board Game Geek, so we're going to post what we think about the game afterwards. So there were some things like, you know, we, we gave him our list of things that we wanted to talk about, and some things were just like, oh, yeah, the publisher messed this up. They forgot to include this graphic on the map. Some things were like, well, Brian Train said, well, I didn't want to do it this way, and the publisher ended up doing it that way. And it's it's little things that when you're actually playing the game, uh, they're like, well, this doesn't really make sense the way it's set forth. So it was sort of interesting. Um, one of the big things was actually just a printing error, and I know those things happen sometimes. Um, but the way the game plays is you can take uh, unit chips, which are blue, orange, and green, depending on whether they're blue is civilian, orange is paramilitary, and green is military. Or you can take brown chips, which are, it's hard to describe, it's sort of like defense chips. You can use them to turn over other people's units or stop them from doing it to yours. The point of the game is to basically gather up your army, gather up forces under your control, and then when, it, when the revolution hits you know, one person is going to seize power from everyone else. So the game itself is good. I think it deserves one more play, but it had some problems with it. And one of those problems, like I said, that printing error, some of the brown shits on the back were orange, which kind of messes up the fact that you're hiding brown chips. If the back of the chip is messed it up, everyone looks at the orange one and goes, well, I know what he's got there. So... Uh, the guy that bought the game asked Brian Train about that one as well, and he said, yeah, well, they're not going to fix that. They're going to make it a print-and-play. And I thought, well, that's pretty messed up. If I just spent money on a game and their solution is to say, well, you can print it out yourself to fix, I just I, – I don't know what you guys think about that, but we were kind of turned off by the response to that. Is it printed on cardboard? Yes, yeah. Cardboard. Well, that's, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the guy that had bought the game had already used a Sharpie to make several other corrections. It's just that this one where the backside was a completely different color was so obvious that you just can't fix that. I mean, even if he spray-painted, you'd be able to tell it was spray-painted. So it's kind of a beta test that they just released. It really felt that way. Um, yeah. We all um, – so the game is basically in two phases – 
and the first phase is building up uh, forces that are under your control uh, in the pre-coup. And once the coup hits, um, everyone gets to put their forces on the board, move around a bit. There's some interesting decision-making, whether you want to be pro-government or whether you want to be rebels. Um, and there's a lot of really cool things in there. But the main problem I had is once the coup hits, it basically comes down to a dice roll of which player gets to go first. That first player gets to move his forces around the board, gets to smash everybody else up. And in my case, I ended up going third on the first coup round. I was out of the game before I had a chance to play. So there was some really – now looking back, there are other things that we could have done in the pre-coup round to make things more interesting. But I don't know. The game really fell apart at the end. It was kind of like a a good movie that had a terrible ending. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, I hate to hear that. But, I mean, I do understand where you're coming from with the misprint and, you know, whatnot. And, yeah, I – I honestly expect better whenever I pay for something. It's like, look, you know, you, you've got to have it together, or if you don't have it together, you've got to make it right. And you yeah. mentioned Tiny Battle Publishing. I bought into them um, late last year in the In the Trenches system because yeah. I'm, I'm totally obsessed with World War One. I bought Red Horde uh, 1920, and then I bought uh, Doughboys, which is theirs. I spent about, I don't know, $75, thereabouts, uh, buying yeah, into it. Yeah, I think their games probably average about $25 each. I think that's what I paid for the Shiloh game. Yeah, and I know from personally, I was a little disappointed that it didn't come in a box. It just came in a big Ziploc bag. And I think everything they have is in bags. I don't think yeah. they have boxes for anything. It is, and I mean, I guess I understand that with the price point and everything, but still, you know, I kind of want something I can stick on my shelf, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't got that far yet, so anyway. So, Chile 73. Um, I really hope that we get to play it one more time, but it end up leaving a, an empty feeling. And as we got toward the end, you know, it was fun, and then everybody kind of at the same time is like, what is going on with this? This is just not what i thought it was going to be so but then we played another game pax porfiriana you ever heard of that one it sounds roman it's it sounds roman because of pax but it's actually the mexican civil war around 1910 i think so porfiriana was uh i think his name is diaz porfiriana he was the uh he was the president of mexico and he had 30 years of peace until he finally got overthrown. I don't know much about my Mexican history, so I don't know why he would overthrow a guy after 30 years of peace, but they did. Um, but it was a really fascinating game. Every player, it's probably good, maybe two up to six players or so. And every player, um, there's actually even a solo mode, but I don't know how well that would work. Anyway, every player plays um, a historical character that was basically vying for power that was looking to overthrow him. Most of them were Mexicans, but at least one of them, I think, was the governor of Washington, D.C. So basically, he's not looking to become the president of Mexico. He's just looking to have influence over Mexico. So the game takes place in basically three regions, a couple regions in Mexico, and also some of it takes place in the U.S. And you're basically just building up your forces, kind of like Chile 73 in a way, until the coup hits. Um, and there's several times that a coup h- could hit based on certain cards that are played. But you're doing things like building up an economy for yourself with ranches and mines and collecting allies and things like that. And they're all cards that you play in front of you. And you can attack the other player's cards to knock down their power. But what you're really looking for is you're trying to get these certain tracks up high enough that uh, that when the coup hits, you'll be powerful enough to overthrow uh, the the president. So, really, really good game for us. It came down to the last coup of the game, and I actually had a choice where I could have, I could have basically just completely wrecked myself in order to stop another player from winning. I decided to just try to get myself into as strong a position as possible, and then the next guy wrecked himself to stop another player from winning, and then a fourth guy won out of nowhere because the other three of us were all in fighting each other so really really good game and i think there are some either expansions or uh maybe sequels to it based on some other 
same system in some other eras as well. But the base game has a lot of cards in it, and you only use maybe a third of the cards. So given the fact that they're shuffled and random and everything, you could probably play that game you know, dozens of times without it being anything close to what it was before. So, All right, cool. Huh. And it's pretty it's simple to learn, too, which I liked. All right, so the next thing you had was Star Realms. Why does yeah. that sound familiar to me? It is a deck builder. Um, ah. I've never played Dominion, so in my opinion, Star Realms is the best deck builder out there. My daughter loves Star Realms, so we like to play it together. And we actually went on a camping trip this weekend. We went hiking and camping, and Star Realms is its literally just a deck of cards, about 100 cards or so. And um, as long as it's not windy, it's a great take-along-with-you <laughs> game. Um, we actually took Hive with us, too, which is probably an even better camping game, because that one you can play even when it's windy. Um, but... I don't know. Do you guys uh, do you guys like to go camping? And if you do, what kind of games do you like to take with you? Yeah, those games that are heavy like that, like Hive. Yeah. Has Hive the is big, a like, great game. Yeah. In fact, um, that's the reason Car- I bought Hive. Oh yeah, uh, Carcassonne would be good for that. It's, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, a medium weight. Um, Heavier than just cards, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Um, there's a game called Stack, and I don't know if they make it anymore, but it's just dice. It's just a it's a mesh bag of dice. So you you everybody rolls their color of dice, and then you're stacking dice back uh, one on top of the other. Hmm. And I think eventually, once it gets to five, then you own that stack if your die is on top. So it, it, again, it's just d sixes. Yeah. Um, so that's you don't that's, even need to buy the <laughs> I've yeah. got hundred d sixes laying around somewhere, so. Yeah, but that game is called Stack, and I'm sure you could probably find the the rules for it on uh, online somewhere. Huh, yeah, that sounds I, I'm showing it was originally created in 1988. Aha! Yeah, that's that's an old one. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Let's see what else is good for camping. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of games like that that are that are great that are like heavyweight that you don't have to deal with wind and stuff like that. Yeah. I want to play more Hive. We we took it with us this weekend, didn't actually get to play it. Um, but Hive is one that I'm very interested in, but I'm such a newbie at it that it kind of feels random whether I win or not. But I know that it's actually a pretty deep strategic game. It's been, you know, compared to chess. So mm. it's definitely a game of skill, but when you play as a newbie, it's more luck than skill. I, I've looked at that quite a few times. I haven't haven't dived into it yet. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and then I'm also playing a couple RPGs. I've got two different RPG groups going. Um, we talked about D&D Carthoon a couple shows ago, I think, and uh, we actually started playing today. We had our character creation before, actually started playing today, so that was fun. Um, and then I've also got a Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG group going as well. So a couple RPGs going. So what is the Carthoon... Uh is that a setting, or what is that? It is. It's a setting, uh, supposed to be system independent, although I think they suggest either Savage Worlds or D&D. Um, okay. But it works just fine with 5th edition D&D. It's got some new races, it's got some backstory, stuff like that. So um, the guy that's GMing for us, or DMing for us, is uh, is a big fan of the, system, the, uh, the setting itself. So mm-hmm. since he's kind of got it in his mind already, it's easy for him to to dm and just present the world to us so ah good yeah yeah all right and uh roy you you've been playing adventureland so yeah adventureland is a haba game which a haba typically has their their kids games uh by and large although there's a few that stand out there and adventureland is one and then karuba which i have not played uh is the other one and um so Adventureland is, uh, there's three different scenarios in the game. And the, so we, we've only played the first one so far. And so all of the, the, your, uh, adventurers, they only move in, in two directions. So it's a, got a gridded board. It's like, uh, letters across the top and the numbers down the side. And they only move down and to the right. They can never go backwards. Um, so there's you have this this gridded board has 
uh, mountains, there's a city, then there's a river, and then the fog areas. And you flip cards, and it has a coordinate on it. And you put whatever happens to be on that card on the coordinate. So on a city, it's always a follower or a companion, I believe it's called in the game. Um, and so a companion goes on there. If it lands on a fog space, then you put a fog creature there. So you can move across the grid or down the grid. So you get two moves with a with an adventurer. And they can move as far as they want across the grid. So you can, um, in two moves, you can go to the opposite corner of the board. And it's so you uh, are moving across. You're collecting swords to defeat the fog monsters. You're collecting herbs to help you defeat the fog monsters. And then eventually you're going to fight a fog monster, um, which you can come up against, and you get victory points for defeating those. So it's, um, it's, I don't know. It's I've, I've only had one playthrough of it, and I kind of like it. But I need to play it through some more times. There's, uh, like I said, there's three scenarios. And of course, one is the introductory one, and then the third is kind of involved. You have a bunch of things you have to keep track of to get your victory points collected. Um, but I, yeah, I need to give that another playthrough. So, Adventureland from Haba. Is it co-op? No, no, it's uh, it's comp- uh, competitive. It's uh, okay. two to four players. But no direct conflict. You're just both trying no, to not really. more monsters for victory points. Okay. Right. About the only conflict, uh, it would be if you're, um, you're occupying a space where somebody else wants to be. And then so can like, you actually fight or push them out or something? No, no. Oh, as, okay. As long as you have an adventure sitting there, it's basically you own it. Okay. But you can jump over the top of them. But like, so if, since it's in a grid structure, in a square grid, uh, if you kind of want to be in somebody's column, but you're in the row that somebody else's piece in. You can't move up and down. You can't move to their spot to move up and down. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's a ways you can get around that. But as far as conflict, no, there's not any, like, player-to-player conflict in it. So as far as a family game, it's um, it's a little a little deep for, for the younger crowd. So, like, for maybe a, um, anywhere from, like, a 9 to 12-year-old, or nine and up would would be appropriate to play with uh, uh, kids. Actually, I believe on the box it says ten to ninety nine uh, <laughs> years of age. So that's yeah, that's Adventureland. And you, um, Castle Panic is something you Castle have listed Panic. here, and I'm very familiar with that. Okay, yep. It's, I just played just one game of Castle Panic on uh, Friday, and uh, one handily. We played the base game. We have the uh, the Wizard's Tower expansion, but decided not to play with that. Uh, that was just kind of a little filler that we that we did. Um, so yeah, Castle Panic. I would also recommend that as far as as far as family games go. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about that, but I think a lot of people probably know it. I don't know, Richard. Do you know Castle Panic? I've seen it. I've never I've never played it or seen it played. I've I've seen it and yeah. you know kind of looked at the boxes all. So I like. Every- I, I always thought that. The board structure I thought looked really cool. It kind of looked uh-huh. like like a tower defense game in a way, the way it all circles the, oh, the castle and everything. Yep. So, yep. So every turn you draw tiles out, and it can be anything from the the troll mage, which has particular uh, special abilities, to just a lowly goblin or a boulder or something. And so you throw a die to say where it comes in on the board. And so, like if it's a boulder. It just rolls down the hill and smashes into your castle and knocks down the wall, and then you have to rebuild it. Um, so the, um, the the monsters come in at the forest ring, and each turn they get a little bit closer. But you have so the there's the forest ring, there's the archer ring, there's the knight ring, and the swordsman ring. The sword the swordsman is right up against the castle. So you have certain cards that like I can only hit targets in the blue arc of the archer ring. So I'm going to play that. Anything I can hit anything there, I can hit it for one. And so you're trading cards back and forth, trying to kind of get the best combos for your turn um, to take out all of the monsters that come, that are come trying to take out, take out your castle. And then once the bag is empty, then you, you either won or lost. Uh, yeah. So that's castle panic. So um, I keep asking this, but is this one co-op? Uh, yes. Mostly. Okay. 
So, have you ever heard um, of the States of Siege games? No. Okay. There are a series of games, I can't remember who makes them right now, Autumn and Sunset, Zulu's on the Ramparts, there's a few of them like that, but they kind of remind me of this game, where you have forces approaching you from every direction, and you're you're trying to balance how you're going to manage to keep them all away from you. The interesting thing about the States of Siege game is they're almost impossible to win. I mean, you're... you're oh, uh- they're going to get to you sooner. Uh, hopefully, I mean, it, they are technically possible, but it's really rare to win those. It's just like hold out as long as possible. Okay. Yeah. So Castle Panic also comes with the Wizard's Tower where you have a second deck of cards where you're drawing it, and that has magic to do, you know, kind of a little bit more to it. Um, so, yeah, it's a, that's a great family game. Yeah, that one does look fun. So, yeah. What is Jumbo? So Jumbo, I actually didn't play. My wife played it. I, I asked her about games that she had played on Friday. So uh, Jumbo is a trading game where you're are um, uh, you're trading goods back and forth to kind of gain various things. Um, Jumbo means hello in Swahili. So happy merchants welcome their customers in Central Africa before colonization. The players are traders in those days, competing to be the first to earn 60 gold by selling tea, hides, fruits, salts, silks, and trinkets. The game is played with cards which represent goods, people, and animals. Players take turns with up to five actions per turn until one player reaches the goal and wins the game. So I happened to look this up on uh, Board Game Geek, and I didn't realize it's out of print. So this this little two player it's a two player game by the way uh, is currently going for eighty bucks on eBay um, because it's just it's out of print. But, Was uh, it yeah, on the shelf my, at your game store? No, it's actually we've had it for quite a oh, while. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but that kind of inspired me to talk about other two player games that we have. And you know, last episode we talked about those games that are that are great introductory games. And we neglected to mention Lost Cities. Do you, either of you guys know Lost Cities? Uh, similar to the last one, um, I've seen the box, I've looked at it, I have not played it. So there's no, there's a no, no. there's a bigger board game that's a four player game, but there's a and it's a, this is a Reiner Kinesia. How do you say that? Kinesia. Anyway, uh, he's the designer, and uh, it's a two player game. Where you are deciding to go on a on an expedition to various places, and so you're you're playing. The cards are numbered um, from two to ten twice. So there's two of each number, and you have to go in order. You have to go from well, you have to go from two as high as you can get, and you can jump over numbers, and uh, so you're going on various uh, trips, and so once you decide, okay, well I'm going to go to Machu Picchu. You start at a minus 20 points, and then you have to play these cards to kind of hopefully get to a positive number. So if, if you decide that you're going to go on an expedition, um, you need to make sure that you have, that you have the cards to play into it so that you don't get, get stuck in the hole with it. But, uh, yeah, Lost Cities, as far as like introductory games for people, um, I think it's a great, great game, and it's a two-player game. And again, there's a four-player game that's a little bit more involved, but it's pretty similar. Mm. So I would recommend that. Reminds me of that old game, Racco. You ever play that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I have a copy of Racco, too. Yeah. We've actually, actually brought that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we brought that out kind of as a nostalgia thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I played uh, that when I was a kid. So I've also been playing uh, played two games of Pandemic, and I believe it was in April, uh, and and... Died horribly. <laughs> so, and I actually I wasn't around for the end of the game. I somebody else sat in for my my uh, place. So we, I, I managed to do one of the victory conditions for that particular uh, game was to do two searches, and on both games I managed to do two searches, but now, to, yeah, to no effect. That's an interesting. So. Yeah, we were a little further along in, than you. Um, I think we're. Mm-hmm. 
think we might be in August or July. It's been so long since we played, just because oh. you know I, I play it with my 17 year old. She's had finals and everything, so mm-hmm. we're gonna play it again soon. Um, but yeah, some of those, you know, I don't want to give it away too many spoilers, but the searches are very dependent on you just drawing the right card. And I remember yeah. maybe around April or so, we had the same victory condition, do two searches, and we had a search card on our hand, but we thought if we blow this search, then the next game, and we don't win, then the next game, this search card is no longer available to us. Yes. Yep. So once you scratch that, that, yeah, once you scratch that card off, you know you're making a commitment there. So yep. yeah, that's a that's a tough one. So that was that was kind of a bummer that it was to no avail both yeah. times. Sorry. Uh, okay, and so I've also been playing uh, New York Slice was a game that I uh, played this past Friday. And so this is from Bezier. Am I saying that right? The same people that make Werewolf? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, And for a game, New York Slice is a game that has theming in spades. So it's a game about about pizza and cutting up pizza. Um, And so, like, the game comes in a pizza box. The... um, Directions come in a, like a trifold menu kind of thing. The uh, score sheets look like a a, a guest check. Um, so as far as theming, it's it's solid for sure. <laughs> so each turn, there's a stack of slices that you lay out, and each slice is a different kind. Some of the slices have anchovies on, which nobody likes anchovies, so those are <laughs> my points. <laughs> There are pepperoni slices, which you can just eat the pepperoni and get a point per each one. But then after that, you're collecting as many of a slice as you can. So, like, um, there's, uh, there's like, what, a ham, ham and cheese is one of the slices, we'll say. And there are 11 slices of that in the game. Well, if you have the the most number of those at the end of the game, you get those 11 points. But then, like, of a Supreme, there's only three slices. If you have the most of those three, then you get the three points. Um, and then along the way, there's uh, there's little special cards that you can get. And one of those says, I like anchovies. So all of those negative points are now positive points for me. Um, so... It's it's a it's a quick little game and you're kind of the 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 player that's laying out the slices then divides them into the number of players. So I believe there's maybe eleven slices per pie and you separate them into four groups. And so a, a group can have only one slice in it. And so you're kinda of looking around saying, Okay, well this person's collecting um the the number eight uh, pizza slices. So maybe I'm gonna like put a couple of eights with something they're not gonna want, and maybe they don't want want, want don't want that, and then I can grab it or something. Um, but it's you know there's there's certain games that that get their theming just solid, and New York Slice from stem to stern has it right that like the game is a pizza box, the the menu. The score sheets, just all of it, is is really nice, and it's well, it's uh, it plays two to six and it's thirty minutes. I like games with interesting scoring systems, especially yes. games where the scoring can change over the course of the game. I, I, that's a good mechanic if you can get it to work right. Mm-hmm. My question on this one though is, so it's heavily thematic, so you're probably yes. going to eat pizza while you play it. But do you guys yeah, have rules? about food and drinks when you, with your games because I well, do I don't allow I don't love food and drinks on the same table as the games. You got to set up a TV tray or a card table or something ah. and you keep your food away from my game. <laughs> For us it has to be like mostly dry stuff. Like yeah. like nothing that's going to stain, nothing that's going to be oily or greasy. So yeah, but as far as drinks, we're soda, beer, whatever, you know, it's all good. But uh, yeah, so that's New York slide. New York slide. So all right, and are, uh, on to what's on your radar? Well, you had a uh, states of siege. Oh, was I was just, I, sorry. I was noting that on the 
on the the doc because of what Richard had mentioned. Ah, okay. Sorry. Yeah, and I threw a link on there too. Um, oh, okay. The, 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 this I didn't play it in the last couple of weeks, but the one that I've played, and I own, and I've played a number of times is Ottoman Sunset. And I know there's Zulus on the ramparts. I think there's one. They all the theme of all of those is you're being surrounded and you're gonna die. So Zulus on the ramparts. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's one about the siege of Jerusalem. Ottoman sunset has to do with the fall of the Ottoman Empire in World War One, and they all very. I think they have some actual zombie ones too that are not historical, but same sort of theme. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, the next thing we had on with this on our segment, what's on your radar is uh, called Briscars. I think is how you pronounce it. This is a French uh, miniature game, and with I thought it was kind of robust enough to mention, just in the sense that it had about you know seven, eight different factions for it. So I would just throw it on here, and yeah, I discovered this recently. Uh, for me, living in the United States of America, I've always been a little disappointed that the fact that like Europe is like where it's at when it comes to um, just gaming. Uh, they come up, they have all these cool different rule systems or miniatures and you know whatnot. And I always try and point out and celebrate when we get some here in the U.S. But yeah, it's mostly Europe, and uh, this is one of them. It's a skirmish game of just kind of different factions that look kind of cool. I know I like the Thulians because they're dwarves. And, uh, yeah, just going to point it out here, and there you go. <laughs> right, so, I'm looking uh, at minis now. <laughs> I know. it's They're really cool sculpts and stuff. But, yeah, it's a French company. So uh-huh. moving on to uh, one thing that's been really big in the past couple of weeks is my little scythe. Yeah. And... Uh, I was going to ask you guys, I have either one of you actually played Scythe? Oh, yeah. yeah. Scythe is, like, uh, probably my number two game. It's, I think it's my second favorite game. Right behind Advanced Squad later. I haven't played it in quite a while. I want to give it another playthrough, though. Stone Mayor Games has come out with My Little Scythe. It appears to be a cut-down version of Scythe with more cutesy, cartoonish type you know, characters and factions, and yeah. So. I really need to do an interview with him. I mean, I mentioned before, he's a local guy here for me, and he does a lot, he does seminars here in St. Louis on game design and stuff, so I need to get a hold of him and do an interview. What's his name? Jamie Stegmeyer. Jamie Stegmeyer, okay. Yeah. I know, um, yeah, I'm usually trying to I, uh, get interviews here and there. I have a couple of irons in the fire. Uh, one of them, specifically, was World in Flames. Oh, yeah. Which is weird, um, because um, I just generally messaged the company that produced it about an interview. Because, I mean, it, the way I do my interviews is like, okay, I know, I don't know much about your game. Please explain it to me. So I guess they kind of come from the fact of like, oh my gosh, I don't know who you need to talk to. And uh, so that's kind of a thing. But uh, interestingly enough, I'm friends with a gaming designer named Jack Green, who does some naval World War II games, who has moved to Mississippi, who apparently knows some people over there. And he was like, oh, hey, I'll pass on your info to them and see if I can get you an interview with them. And, yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, that's that's the whole thing is I, I have questions to ask, and I think it will work out to be a good interview. Like, hey, please tell me about your game and, you know, whatnot. So, there you so go. here's the thing. Like I said, Side, this is my second favorite game. My eight-year-old daughter is huge into My Little Pony. And this game comes out in August, and her birthday is in August. So I guarantee <laughs> I will have a review of this game for you by the end of August. All right, who's her favorite pony? I and don't know. <laughs> you should know. It's like, who's her favorite pony, and why is it Rainbow Dash? So, um, is it Twilight Sparkle, maybe? Yeah, Twilight Sparkle. Is yeah. that one of them? Okay. <laughs> yes, there you go. Now, Richard, have you seen the, uh, the CCG? The, what is it? Friendship is Magic? Is so, uh, 
I haven't seen the CCG. I know there's a there's a there's a My Little Pony RPG out there. Oh, yes. I my, my, my kids are into that. I flipped through the book at Miniature Market and thought, okay, well now I just need a fedora and I'll fit right in. So, <laughs> um, but no, yeah, if, so if your kids are playing it, it's okay. You're, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to wear a fedora. You can yeah, be and, normal. And the the kids across the street that are always over here playing because we've got a trampoline, but they play D and D with their dad. So and. <laughs> My little one has been asking to play D&D again, mostly because she thinks the dice look really cool. So I told her, yeah, you know, sometime <laughs> we'll have your friends over and we'll play. But I actually thought about getting the My Little Pony RPG because I know they would love playing that. It's interesting that they uh, put that out uh, because there was this whole other company uh, that put out a My Little Pony RPG based on Pathfinder. And dadgummit, I cannot think of the... It's Pony Finder. Yeah. Uh, po- Pony Finder, and they have put out a bunch of different stuff for it. And uh, Pathfinder's so crunchy, though, that... I mean, I guess, I guess honestly, at that point, they're probably looking for bronies to play and not eight-year-old girls, because I don't want a crunchy <laughs> system for an eight-year-old girl. I, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I mean, that was kind of the thing, is they put out all the stuff for a pony finder and then somewhere along you know it goes is somebody at hasbro noticed oh my gosh there are people that want to play this and we should do our own um system and they did and well and uh, hasbro's yeah. watsi yes Has- hasbro's watsi is 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 dungeons and dragons so yeah, yeah. makes total right. sense so uh yeah that's a whole other thing it's like hey why should pathfinder you know, get whatever and mm-hmm. accept me, and there you go. Which reminds me, I guess I kind of forgot the what What am I playing lately, and um, I'm just going to mention a couple things here. Um, I've been playing the Battletech uh, PC game. <laughs> so uh, if you're like me and you've been playing Battletech since you were 15, and this was many, you know, uh, 30 years ago, or less than, you know, 40 years ago, uh, this PC game that has come out is awesome. Oh my gosh, it's what I've been wanting for years and years and years. And uh, yeah, so it is, which kills me because I read all you get reviews of it. And they're like, eh, well, it's kind of boring. I don't like it. Blah blah blah. <laughs> it's not like Mech Warrior Three and stuff. And I'm like, no, it's not a first-person shooter. It's literally a complete translation of the tabletop game. It's turn-based, ah. and we move, and we shoot, and we, you know, we we repair our mechs, and yeah, it's yeah, so freaking awesome. I'm trying to remember back in the, I think I played this back in the 80s, tabletop version, and wasn't it even things like your weapons would overheat, and like you could like, you could go into the water to cool yourself down and stuff like yes. that? Yeah. Yes. That's absolutely. what I remember about it, for whatever, I, you always remember some random detail, that's what I remember. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that yes, was a that, that was a major game mechanic was the, the oh, was overheat. It? Okay. Yeah. And uh I mean I cannot begin to talk about how <laughs> complex uh Battletech is nowadays in the different timelines and, and stuff like that. But I always prefer the original where you actually had to deal with heat just because uh they're they've advanced the timeline and you do not have to deal with heat. Uh, if you play some of the later, you know, oh. time periods. So, but yeah, I I prefer the uh the heat based yeah original game and yeah that's that's boy I, I still miss the clicky base Mech Warrior from yeah. uh yeah I, that was good. I mean, when that came out, uh, BattleTech hadn't nobody had done anything with it for a good decade. Yeah. And so it was just a lot of fun to to play it. I mean, I can I don't really like the collectible aspect no. of it, but I mean, that was all we had. So yeah. I was happy to play it. So Yeah, that was my jam back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So, we'll see where we are. Um, I will scythe. Uh, have we done Renegade? No, so we talk a lot about Kickstarters, and this is actually one that I kickstarted last year, and I just found out it's shipping, so it's on my radar because I'm looking forward to playing it. Um, have you guys, have you guys heard of Mage Knight the game? 
Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, and another clicking based thing. Yeah. Or, or originally, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then it became so there was the original board game, and then it became the adventure game or something. I don't know what they call it exactly. Oh yeah. So there's a guy online. The the rule book for Mage Knight is terrible, and it's hard to learn to play, even though it's a great game. But there's a guy online named Ricky Royal that does Mage Knight how-to videos. And if you ever go online, just say, oh, please teach me how to play Mage Knight. I can't figure this out. Chances are somebody's going to say, go to YouTube and look up Ricky Royal. So Ricky Royal, that's how I first heard about him, was watching him teach me how to play Mage Knight on YouTube. Well, anyway, he came up with a game that he has developed and created called Renegade. And it just sounded really interesting. Um, it's soloable, which is nice, but it's not necessarily a solo player. And you play hackers in the future, and it's a it's a card based game where you're you're trying to you know hack into government systems. You got different tools that you can use, and um, it's a Kickstarter. So I bought it more or less sight unseen, except just hearing some interviews with him. So we'll see how it turns out. It was I think forty five bucks, and should be here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So it looks like it's tile based. Like, you're laying tiles, too, right? Yeah, and I think, yeah, it, it, there's there's something of a, a board that gets created during the game with tiles, and you have cards that, you know, have your abilities and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. But it sounded good to me, and, you know, I bought it kind of on a, kind of on a whim, but I'm, I am looking forward to it. It's one of two that I've got um, out there waiting for a shipment. Uh, so the next thing that we had was the ICRPG. This is the Index Card RPG. This is something that came across my radar um, recently and I just thought it was really neat. It is a... The company that put this together kind of crammed everything in the sense that it's, it's rules, it's a setting, it's miniatures that you can actually print out and play and yeah i just thought it was really cool you know if you were into role-playing game and yeah i think it's really neat especially in the sense that it is a living rule book so if you buy the pdf on um drive through rpg they update it here and there and there you go so yeah i think it's 30 bucks for a soft cover and a pdf and, uh, yeah, it just comes with all these different things. And I just looked at a guy that did a online playthrough, and it just seemed really neat. And, uh, yeah, there you go. I'm always looking for simple RPGs, and this seems to be pretty cool. Yeah, there's a number of one-page RPGs out there, and there's even a, a whole class of war games called – I think they're called postcard war games. So I like the whole idea of – minimalism just as a sort of thought exercise um i would definitely be interested in looking this and seeing how it looks Um, but a lot of this comes down to your play style as well when i rpg i really like free-flowing storytelling i'm much more a fan of free-flowing than crunchy um, which is why i don't really play pathfinder um something like this obviously if it's a minimalist it's probably going to be free-flowing but some people really like crunchy and this probably won't appeal to them yeah, I, I completely understand that. So I guess moving on. Um, all right, somebody listed this here, and I'm not sure if it's Richard. This or Roy. was this was me. Okay. Okay. So I told you I was going camping this weekend. I went up to Half Price Books because I wanted to pick up a paperback to read on my downtime up there, and I made my way over to the RPG section, just looking through the books, and I'm looking through the old D and D stuff, like the really old. I think second edition. I think. Um, and I was like, oh, hey, cool, there's the Monster Manual. I used to have that. And I pull it off the shelf, and I open it up, and my name is in the cover. And the little <laughs> skull that I drew when I was in seventh grade, like, oh, this is so cool. And I did not buy it because it was 40 bucks, and I'm not that sentimental. But I did think it was hilarious to find my old Monster Manual at Half Price Books. And I've I looked heard at all it was happening before. Yeah, I I've... looked at all the books next to it, and they were all owned by the guy that I used to play with. So I think what wow. happened is his mom gathered up everything and got rid of it because he doesn't even <laughs> live in town anymore. He lives in Boston, but I thought it was funny. Ah. Mm, ah, that's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I there is such a whole thing nowadays with uh, just socially and economically with the 
hey, buy the things that either you used to have or that you wanted. And it yeah. kind of drives like the uh, the toy market and a little bit of the old RPG market. I'm very thankful that there's so much of old RPG stuff I can pick up on drive through RPG in PDF form. And, you know, it doesn't clutter up my house and it's super cheap. I don't have to pay, like, uh, collectible prices on, like, eBay. And, you know, there you go. So I, I really dig that. And along How those... It, Sorry, go ahead. Go go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Along those lines, I don't think we have talked about this on this podcast, but have you seen the republishing of Keep on the Borderlands? Uh, no. It no. is it's a hardback book. It's oh, like yeah. and it's thick. I mean, it's like thicker than the DMG. Um, but it's 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 a it's an updating of Keep on the Borderlands and I guess the other, you know, Back then, modules used to come. They'd be like 1A, 1B, 1C, whatever ones came with Keep on the Borderlands, and it's all been updated for D&D 5th Edition. But what's really cool is you open up the book, and like the typeface and the drawings and the art, either they're exactly the same as the old stuff, or they're in that same style. And wow. you know, you're talking about reminiscence stuff we used to have, and I looked at that, and I was like, oh, this is so cool for 5th Edition. So Now, isn't there commentary in there, too? Like from the original creators, original it, it could be. I only flipped through it. I didn't. I didn't okay. read the whole thing. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because it is thick. I mean, it's yeah. it's thicker than the Dungeon Master's Guide. So a throwback to 1980. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing it here, and it's produced by Goodman Games. That sounds right. Yeah. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, apparently it comes with. Uh, all kinds of different maps and all kinds of fun stuff and uh yeah so there you go interesting uh, yeah i and i want to say yeah this is mostly done for dungeon crawl classics which i have sort of gotten in in the sense of i've bought a lot of stuff for it and <laughs> uh haven't played was that yet. your spending spree about a month ago oh yes yeah, <laughs> something like that I discovered it at Gen Con, and then I discovered, um, I went down to the coast, and there was a couple of gaming stores down there that had a bunch of stuff on sale, so I bought a bunch of it, and yeah, so I've ended up with a lot of that product, but have not played it. So, anyway. Alright, the next thing we had was Roy was going to tell us all about how to foster game friendships. Well, I, I don't Hold really on, know. I'm, I'm going to write this down. <laughs> Yeah, we're well, taking I, notes. No okay. pressure, Roy. I, 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 I was hoping that we could kind of like have this kind of a roundtable discussion about this. That like, so how, as like I'm, how old am I? I'm 48, and you guys are of a similar age. So we're kind of, kind of beyond the sweet spot as far as like how to find um, friends that share your hobby. So how do you go about doing that? What's the what's the strategy that people have for for how to um, to find somebody that maybe you can talk into playing D and D or uh, playing Advanced Squad Leader or or something like that. What's uh, how do you do that? Like how do you? Um, I guess what what prompted this was there's the my local grocery store. There was a guy that I started talking to about um, just about nerdy stuff, and so you know. Like how do you how do you foster that relationship that like well we have a bunch of things that maybe might in common and maybe you want to like uh, go and play some Star Wars Legion or something. Um, so anyway, I was just yeah I just wanted to throw that out for people. How do you what's what are some good ways to uh, and actually I've had some some bad ways that have happened to me um, where it it turned out not so great. Um, so, like, what are some strategies that people have for for finding people to play games with? So, I think that it obviously it's it's going to depend on where you live and what your gaming community is. Um, I'm finding that I'm pretty lucky here in St. Louis because we have a strong gaming community. But for RPGs, I found some success with Meetup.com. Um, okay. There's yep. There are good RPG groups in here. Now, when I say good success, it's not 100%. And I think 
maybe more so with RPGs than with any other genre, you have to be able to bail as soon as you realize that this is not the group for you. You know, mm-hmm. no gaming is better than bad gaming when it comes to RPGs. And we've joked in a few other episodes about, you know, that guy, the gaming cancer, and I find that he really likes yeah. to play RPGs. So yeah. I've had some success. The nice thing about meetup.com is is you can you can set it up for one shots and you can meet up with some random guys and or you know maybe women too. Um, I, I've been lucky enough to have some some women in my gaming groups as well, although on meetup not so much. Um, but you know you spend a few hours and maybe you meet up with four other people and you send two of them an email later saying, hey, that was fun. Would you like to do it again? And the other two you just kind of ignore. So mm-hmm. that's been my experience with RPGs. With war games, it's been a very different experience for me because it's a much more niche community. So I started off trying to get my friends that I was already friends with to play war games with me. And some of them liked them, and some of them tolerated them, and some of them had one thing to do with it all. So I actually, I was listening to another podcast and looking on Board Game Geek, and there's a guy up in Minnesota named David Doctor, who created, I think he calls it the First Minnesota Wargaming Society or something like that. And he actually mm-hmm. had some good podcasts about how he built it up. And I thought, well, I could do that. I know there's wargamers in St. Louis. There's just no wargaming group in St. Louis. So why not me? So, so you I have a monthly gathering, right? Yeah, I have a monthly gathering, and it is really, okay. I mean, it's starting to gain steam. We're, it's getting to the point where I know I've got at least one listener. He's probably listening now. Uh, um, but what I think is interesting is where before it was me going to my friends and begging them to play a game with me. Now I'm getting people emailing me saying, hey, when are we going to play again? So that's it's ah. nice to see the, the corner get turned like that. Yeah. yeah. So for RPGs meetup. For wargaming, I'd say if if there's no one around to do it, then do it yourself. And even if it starts slow, uh, which mine did, you know, the first time we met, it was literally me playing a solo game. But I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to keep going because solitaire war games are fun too, and I want to make sure that, you know, I don't ever want someone to show up and I'm not there. So, like, so I have a, a miniature game that I would love to play with people. And uh, so I thought about going to my local game night and just setting the game up. But, you know, I don't want to be that pathetic guy that just kind of standing around saying, hey, please play with me. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's one of the dilemmas I have that, like, I don't want to seem like needy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I don't know. I'm just, it's just a commentary about uh, about the miniature thing. Is it like you got to kind of. You got to find the right personality, and if they seem interested, you got to kind of, kind of pounce on that, I guess. Yeah, and obviously, the more niche it is, the harder it is as well. So, so it was at this point uh, my audio track died, and I don't know why. So, rather than give you about um, thirty-five minutes of one-sided conversation, just decided to uh, cut it short here. So. We'll try to do better next time. I blame myself.